My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church. And uh, most weeks I have the privilege to open up God's Word. Today is one. Uh, we're taking a hiatus from our Genesis studies just for two weeks. And uh, we're doing a two-week study on the Holy Spirit. And uh, so this is our last week on our two-week hiatus. And um, I, I want to share with you a thought that I've had. It might seem a little weird at first. Go with me. I find that Christians um, are some of the worst liars that I know. Now, let me clarify. Uh, I don't find most Christians actually to be manipulative or deceitful or deceptive to other people. Um, What I actually find is that I hear more untruths come out of believers' mouths about themselves and also about what God says about the world and also themselves. Now, some of you have this under control, um, but I have found that most believers don't. In fact, um, I want you to imagine with me for a moment, you have a son or you have a daughter, and they are articulating untruths about themselves, being unnecessarily derogatory about themselves. For example, um, I actually just had a circumstance um, with a kid in our church who, um, just very beautiful young um, girl and seven years old, and articulated that she believed she was ugly. Wasn't ugly, objectively, but she's saying these words to herself And I just have to stop her in that moment and say, I I am so sorry, that is not true, that is not accurate, that is not real. Like you might feel this deep down in your soul, but that's not real. Now imagine if this girl has this self-dialogue throughout her life and the lies that she spews out to herself over and over and over again. And let's just be honest, believers, like if the father heard the things that you were saying about yourself, he would say, that's not at all A, true or B, what I think. And I do think that one of the most healthy and responsible things that Christians can do is not only to be able to articulate God's truth to other people, to not just have God's mind and God's heart and God's will about right and sound doctrine, but also relationally to understand uh, the dynamics and reality of our relationship with God. So look at John 16, 13. I'll put it on the screen here. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is called what here? You say the spirit of truth. Is there any deception or any untruth in the Holy Spirit in any way, shape, or form? Of course, your answer is no. Does he participate in lies? The answer is no. So this little girl comes out to me. She tells me she believes she's ugly. Um, She, now this little girl, believes in Jesus Christ, is trusted in him. Uh, Let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Let's say she has the Holy Spirit inside of her. Is the Holy Spirit in agreement with her? Absolutely not. Like, do you ever find your children saying things and you're like, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. The Spirit of God doesn't agree with that. The Father doesn't agree with that. The Son doesn't agree with that. Your dad and I don't agree with that. Your grandparents don't believe in that. In fact, everybody who knows you, we just don't agree with you. And yet, what does the heart of a child want to do? To hold on to the lie, right? Way longer than they should. Maybe, maybe we just enjoy being a victim a little bit longer than we should. So, um, as a young preacher, um, what I found is um, I would tell myself a whole bunch of lies. And I got very frustrated, uh, especially when I was 19, 20, 21 years old, um, between the distance of who I expected I should be and the reality of who I was. Now, what I've come to learn is that um, the preachers that I looked up to the most had, oh, I don't know, Five, ten thousand sermons under their belt and years of experience. And I was still just nervous getting in front of people, let alone being clear headed or any of the sorts. And so one day I was actually self reflecting and um, uh, I went up to a friend of mine who was in a sermon and I said um, to him, he's a wise older man, and I said, um, Was that okay? 
And he said, what did you think? And I proceeded to talk and talk, and I was very self-deprecating, but not in a way that I think pleased God or definitely impressed him. And he asked me a question that really struck me, and to this day, it has stuck with me. And here's the question. Michael, does the Holy Spirit agree with you? I mean, I could just go home right now if that's the question. Like, does the Holy Spirit agree with you? And what I had found is that even as I was trying to do things for God, that I was even talking about and reflecting in ways that the Holy Spirit actually was not supporting. There were things that he didn't believe. I mean, I have a five-year-old son, and uh, I think he's the best baseball player ever, probably going to be, you know, like in the World Series one day or something. But, um, but when he doesn't perform great, am I upset? No, actually, I'm not at all. Why? Because I have realistic expectations for this kid. In fact, um, for me, this is about my son learning and growing, not about being the best right here and right now. Let's be, let's be honest. The vast majority of us in this room are performance-driven, and if we don't perform to our own expectations, we do not speak words that the Holy Spirit would even for a moment speak to us. And I think if we're going to be honest for a moment, we would say, you know what, we probably preach lies to our own soul instead of the gospel to our own soul on a regular basis. And I want you to hear me, this is not self-help, okay? You don't get to disagree with the Holy Spirit when you talk to somebody else, and you and I don't get to disagree with the Holy Spirit when we talk to ourselves. The Spirit of truth leads us in truth, whether it's truth about someone else, truth about God, or truth about ourselves, uh, I want to bring you into some context. So if you remember last week, I'm going to remind you of a few things we said. Number one, the Spirit um, does whatever the Father says to do, right? So the fear, spirits, whatever the Father says, Spirit, do this, that is what the Spirit does. The Father loves to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. So what does the Holy Spirit want to do? Lift high the name of Jesus Christ. This is his obsession. The Father wants to lift high Jesus' name in this place and space, time, and history. And the Spirit does whatever the Father says to do. And so the Spirit wants the name of Jesus to be lifted high. The Spirit wants Jesus to be formed in you. The Spirit wants your words to other people and to yourself and your thoughts to bring Jesus glory. That's what he wants, okay? And so there's an obsession here. And I want to share with you another principle of the Holy Spirit um, that I have personally come to to know and to love, and it's this, that the Spirit shares the heart or the Father's heart for his children. That the Spirit shares the Father's heart for his children. And that some of you, you've never, you just haven't had good parents, so you don't know what it means to have a good dad look at you with affection and love and have a vision for your life and to know the kind of man or woman he wants you to grow up to be. Some of you have never experienced that, but the Heavenly Father is a good dad who has a vision for your life, who knows the kind of character and person he wants you to grow up and to be like, and the Father is intent on developing you into that person, and he sends you, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in you permanently to form his vision for you, who is ultimately Jesus Christ formed inside of you. And that the same heart that God the Father has for you, the Holy Spirit shares that heart because what the Father loves, the Spirit loves. And what the Father wants to do, the Spirit wants to do. And the mission of the Father is the mission of the Spirit. They are always, always on the same page. And so if you know the Father's heart, you know the Spirit's heart. If you know the things that the Father would say, you know the things that the Spirit inside of you is actually saying. 
Now, I want to share with you this morning five things. Um, these are five things that um, the Holy Spirit in Scripture says to believers. Um, this is actually intended to be more of just a, an encouraging message for you. Um, <clears throat> for some of you who hate yourselves, which is honestly more people than I would ever, ever care to see, um, what I want to ask you to do is to consider repenting of that and figuring out if you are a child of the Father, agreeing with the things that the Holy Spirit says to believers in Scripture. Um, what I love about this is that when the Spirit speaks, He speaks for the Father. And when the Spirit reveals something, He's revealing the Father's mind, the Father's heart, and the Father's will. So we're going to go through these five things. So if you have notes, you can open them up. There's going to be five. Number one, the Spirit says this Listen to me. Listen to me. Now, um, you're going to find that actually the Holy Spirit is going to sound a lot like a really good, firm, strong mother uh, throughout all of these. And, uh, and maybe he's just a great compliment to the Father, but you're just going to find that these are things that your mom would say to you. But it's interesting, in Revelation, um, seven times, here's, here's what he says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, again, theological insight for you, the Holy Spirit proceeds or goes out from the Father and the Son. The Son does whatever the Father wants, the Spirit does whatever the Father wants. He's proceeding out from him, that's the theological term. And the Spirit has a mission to communicate to the mind and the heart of believers. Um, one of the things you have to understand is that you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is communicating. He is the conduit by which the Holy Spirit or by which God the Father communicates to your mind and to your heart personal things, okay? Uh, it's a powerful relationship that you have to understand what he's actually saying. Now, there are two reasons why some people don't hear the Holy Spirit. Uh, number one, you are not saved. You have never truly trusted in Jesus Christ and the promise of the Holy Spirit is not in you. I don't find that to be the case with probably most of you in this room. In fact, I think a lot of people, one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit is gonna say, listen to me, is because of a hard, prideful heart. When you're talking to your kids, by the way, and, and uh, you say, listen, listen, eyes, eyes, right? Why do you say that? Some of you just gave me eyes. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but sure. <laughs> Sounds good, right? Why do you say that? Because you know, what do they have a habit of doing? Zoning out, right? And you're like, eyes, eyes. I will, maybe this is just me, right? I'm like, no, stand in front of me, head up, eyes to my eyes, listen to the words that I'm saying, repeat them. Why? Because we have propensities to resist, to push away, to silence the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that seven times he takes each one of these churches, he doesn't just have a personal word for the church, but for every believer inside of that church. And he's like, listen, listen, listen. I need you to pay attention to me. Stop looking the other direction. Eyes on my eyes. This is really important. Say back to me what I'm going to say to you. Like, this is the nature of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit wants to look at you and say, listen to the words that I am saying. And many of us have never considered the truth that the Holy Spirit might actually say to us. In, in a world of so many voices, in a world of so many voices, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is a beautiful voice to listen to because there are so many lies. And the Holy Spirit will agree with everything the Word of God says, 100%, because the Holy Spirit agrees with everything the Father thinks, everything the Father feels, everything the Father wants, and everything the Father does. And so if you read it in Scripture, um, that is the heart of the Holy Spirit because He is in line with how that came about. 
if you read that the Holy Spirit is talking to children of God and about the heart of the Father, here's what you can know. You can take some of these and you can apply them to them yourself. Number one, listen to me. Number two, you are, Christian, hear me, you are God's child. Uh, Romans 8, 15, if you have a Bible, open up with me. Um, one of the most, I think, profound passages of scripture that breaks through all the 21st century American religion um, and flips it upside down. He says this, you, Christian, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I want you to hear me. The Holy Spirit does not make you petrified of God. If you are a child of God, that is not the function of the Holy Spirit. Now, would the evil one love for you to be afraid of God the Father and to run from him? Absolutely. Uh, here's what happens. Slave masters, you're afraid of them. You're afraid because they're performance-driven. And this is the view of God that so many in 21st century America have of God, that he's a slave master, a taskmaster, and they're petrified of God. And so when you mess up, right, you're afraid to run back to God. Okay, let's just talk for a moment. Your mom and your dad and your son or your daughter does something ridiculous. Are they going to be in more trouble if they run from you or if they run to you? From you, right? Now, if your kid comes up to you and they are genuinely repentant and sorrowful over their sin as a good mom, as a good dad, right, is it going to be a lot easier for them? And the answer, of course, is yes. Do you want them to run into your arms, especially when they mess up and do incredibly stupid, stupid things? Of course you do, because that's the heart of a father. And yet, the evil one wants you to believe that if you run to God, he's going to crush you and ruin you. I'm telling you this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child not of a tyrant. You are the child not of a slave master. You are a child of a good, loving, heavenly father, period. Now he goes on and he says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, which means you are now family. What the father is creating is family. Brothers, sisters, the father, a spiritual, functional, healthy, loving family. And this is, again, why at Village, we say we are a family. We're not an organization. We're not a movement. We are a family under Jesus Christ. This is what God wants to create. And here's what he says. This is what the sons do. They cry out, Abba, which is Aramaic for daddy, father. What do they do when they're in distress? What do they do when they're afraid? What do they do when they're tempted? What do they do when life is hard? What do they do when they royally mess up? The Holy Spirit in you pushes you to run to the Father because you are his child. And yet, and yet, there is an impulse in so many followers of Christ that God is unsafe, run away, hide, pull Adam and Eve in the garden and cover yourselves up where the Father is actually saying, A, I already know. B, I've already paid for your sins. See your family. Run to me. Run to me. But then this is what the Spirit says. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness. This is um, a very we'll say serious legal term. Um, he stands in the court of law, if you will, and he is testifying. I understand what they've done. I understand what this man or this woman or this child or this student did. I get it. But I'm here to testify that despite their sin and despite their rebellion and despite their stupidity, this one stands as a child of God. And he is testifying to our spirit that we truly are children of God. When I was a kid, 
Um, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but when I was a kid, my biggest question was, am I really saved? You guys remember that? Uh, if you have anybody young in the faith, by the way, um, this is gonna be the question inevitably they wrestle with because the evil one is gonna communicate lies to them, culture will communicate lies to them, false teachers will communicate lies to them, that somehow trusting in Christ isn't enough. Or if you still struggle with sin, that that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is not inside of you or the Holy Spirit left you. And I'll never forget, as a young kid, I think I was probably in fourth grade, and I asked my mom, um, how do I really know if I'm saved? I'm afraid that I'm actually not saved. And uh, one of the things that she had said to me, which was so helpful, she said something like, Michael, what I found is that those who are the most worried about it are the ones who shouldn't be. <laughs> and uh, what I've also found in ministry, by the way, is that almost everyone who comes up to me asking me that question are the ones who are actually showing fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Uh, they're feeling remorse and sorrow over their sin. They want to be holy. They want to be Christ-like. And, and it's interesting because as a kid, what I needed as a young person in the faith, I needed an older person coming to me and saying, listen, have you trusted in Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. That he's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And if he's given you the Holy Spirit, that can't be taken away. That cannot be taken away. This is a conversation I've had to have with all of my kids individually, one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, they'll say, I, I, am I really saved? And I'll just ask them, do you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead? They're like, yes. Do you love God? Yes. Girl, son, daughter. Then the promise is you have the Holy Spirit. How much faith do you have to have to be saved? I'll say to my kids. And they'll say, a mustard seed. I'm like, do you have a lot right now? One of them will say, no. I said, do you have a mustard seed? Absolutely. And that's, that's, what he, that's what it's needed. And so I, I go to my kids regularly and we have this conversation because as a young person, as a young person in the faith, whether you're 80 and you're young in the faith or you're seven and you're young in the faith, this is a conversation that you need to have constant reassurance. Your sin does not disqualify you from being God's child. In fact, God saved you knowing all of your future sins. God saved you knowing all of your inevitable stupidity. And as you guys all know, you had a kid you had a son, you had a daughter, right? If, you, if you've had that yet, if you didn't, just imagine because your parents probably did this for you and you didn't know all the ridiculous things that they were gonna do, but th is there any dumb thing that they could do that would make you stop loving them or make them less your kid? Nothing at all. And so the Holy Spirit testifies, Christian, Christian, you are a child of God. Here's the third thing that the Spirit says. I think moms and dads, if you love your kids, you're gonna appreciate this. Please don't test me. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? I wrote it like this because this is what I say to my son regularly. Dude, don't test me. Bro, don't test me. I'm bigger than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm stronger than you, and I have a lot more wisdom than you. Don't test me. It is funny to me though, when Christians test the Holy Spirit and test the will of God, right? I'm like, are you a fool? And then by the way, when I say that, finger goes right back at myself, like Michael, what could you possibly be thinking in this moment? You have no capacity or ability to win. You will lose. It might take five years. He might be real patient with his discipline, but talk on it. You cannot win this battle. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. I want you to look at verse nine. What happened when they tested the spirit? 
An 11-day journey from Egypt to the promised land took 40 stinking years. 40 years. 11-day journey, 40 years, and they all died. This, this is a great illustration, by the way. Who won? God. How foolish. And, and, and scriptures are putting all of these illustrations from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You can resist. You can go your own way, child. But hear me. I will win. I will wreck you. I will take you down. I will discipline you. And I will bring you home. You cannot defeat him. This temporary rebellion, it's complete foolishness. And he looks at God's people, and sometimes God's people, we are all tempted to have seasons of rebellion. And I'm telling you this, if you're in it, stop it. There are two options for getting out of a season of rebellion. Option number one is you humble yourself and you run back to God the Father. Option number two is he publicly exposes you. Take option one every single time. Number four, overcome, Christian, you will be rewarded. So one of the, one of the challenges with preaching is um, there are a bunch of people in any sermon, in any church that have this lie. When I come to Jesus Christ and I become a child of God the Father, he is obligated to make my life easy. Now, um, when I say that, some of you, you're like, well, of course that's inaccurate. And yet, when our life is not easy, we go, how could you? If you loved me, you would have prevented all difficulty in my life. Here's what I found is that the Holy Spirit um, will sometimes lead us into difficult circumstances. Um, Jesus, right when he was baptized, led into the wilderness for 40 days and who was waiting for him in the wilderness? The devil himself, waiting to take Jesus down if he could, which he couldn't. And the spirit, the text goes out of its way to say that the spirit um, led Jesus into this difficulty, into this battle for 40 days. It was the spirit's desire to bring Jesus there. Um, I want to share with you two stories from Scripture about this issue of overcoming. And the first is from the book of Acts, and it's about the story of Paul um, being sent by the Spirit to Jerusalem. It's in Acts chapter 20. And again, it'll be on the screen, but here's what it says. Paul is speaking to a group of um, Ephesian elders, and he says this, Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. And he's resolute. Now, by the way, in Jerusalem are a whole bunch of Jews and religious leaders who want Paul dead. This isn't like, oh, some weak threat. No, they will publicly execute him in a very painful way. So everybody understands that there is a price on Paul's head. Now, if you were the Holy Spirit, would you send Paul to Jerusalem? Now, intuitively, most of us would say, well, no. Why would we send Paul to Jerusalem? He's going to die. My job is to protect his body at all costs. What's interesting is I find that the Spirit is not obsessed with protecting our bodies as much as we think he is. The, the Holy Spirit is actually much more obsessed with forming Christ in us, and our bodies are a tool that he can use and not the final end and the ultimate culmination of all of his purposes to create and give me a healthy, ripped, shredded, awesome body. That's not his ultimate goal. My body is a tool. When you trust in Christ, you're giving him this tool. You can say to him with this tool, use it to... You can, you can kill me, you can have me live to be 110 years old, 
My body, my physical body is your body. I can suffer with this body. I can be healthy with this body. My body is yours. It is a tool for the gospel. And when this body doesn't feel good, I will not wag my finger at you. I will not point my finger at you. I will not accuse you. My body is yours. Whatever you feel is best to do with this, I give it to you. And so here's what happens in Acts 20. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit is making this so overwhelmingly clear to Paul. You have one option, it's to go to Jerusalem, and anything short of this is going to be disobedience. And he says this, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. The Holy Spirit has made it exceedingly, seriously, very clear to me. In every city, imprisonment, and afflictions await me. Let me just, let's break down this affliction word. You're gonna be beat to a pulp regularly. And between this place and that, it's gonna be physically devastating. In fact, for the rest of your life, you're gonna carry on your body the scars of these beatings. And I'm gonna lead you right into it. Now, this does not jive with prosperity preaching, does it? This doesn't jive with the pop culture American gospel that if you come to Christ, he's a genie and his job is to make sure that you are happy, healthy, and wealthy, right? And that your body is never harmed. It's very interesting. The Christian, the mature Christian, understands this about my body. It is God's and he can do whatever he wants and he is allowed to lead me into afflictions. He's allowed to do that. And then we have children and we think to ourselves, but you're not allowed to do that with my kids. (laughs) That's a joke. He is, isn't he? Our kids come to Christ and we say, you can do whatever you want with them. And here is the, mom, the mother and the father's number one prayer. Protect them. Keep their bodies safe. And I don't think that's a bad prayer. I'm going to be honest. I pray because I, I feel like my youngest two um, might just kill themselves accidentally by being really, really ridiculous. Right? So I'm like, God, would you protect their bodies? Right? Would you protect them? That's a regular prayer of mine. My bigger prayer is, God, would you use their bodies? Whatever brings you the most amount of glory, whatever lifts high the name of Jesus Christ, would you use them for for that sake? It's interesting that the Spirit of God leads Paul into this, but there is this regular just reality as you keep reading the story that the Spirit is like, overcome, Paul. You have this. And Paul, when when he speaks, has this very palpable sense that if he can persevere, the reward waiting for him is unbelievable and will be worth every single lashing. Uh, now the second, <clears throat> second story is from the churches of Revelation. Um, and the, the saints, the believers um, in these churches are undergoing and about to undergo even worse oppression and persecution. And the Holy Spirit has a word for anybody oppressed, anybody experiencing persecution. It doesn't matter how big or how little it is. You have no idea in the next 50 years what could possibly happen um, to Christianity in America. And and these are are gems that we just hold on to and we remember. And uh, the Spirit has some really amazing things, I think, to to say to those believers who are experiencing any kind of discouragement, oppression, or persecution. Revelation 2.7, it says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers overcomes the victorious ones. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I love the word grant here, by the way. 
Because I think for many people, um, we see that heaven is an entitlement that all of the human race deserves by sheer reality that we're alive. And it's interesting that God is like, no, this is a gift. This is a privilege. Um, I will grant this to you. Here's my ask. Conquer. Overcome. You're going to be tempted to give in and to buckle under the weight. Jesus says this so many times. Those who persevere to the end, they will be saved. Perseverance, conquering, overcoming. It's this beautiful sign, this beautiful fruit of somebody who really has the Holy Spirit of God. Now, believer, are you going to overcome perfectly? Please say no. But you, you find that as you mature in the faith, you learn to overcome more and more and more and more. And it's a beautiful evidence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Revelation uh, 2.11 to the church in Smyrna. Here's what he says. He or she who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That when the final judgment comes, and you stand before the Lord, yes, a guilty sinner, you will be declared forgiven. You will be declared forgiven by God. I wanna tell you the story of Polycarp. Polycarp um, <clears throat> was one of the pastors of the church in Smyrna not too long after Revelation 2 was written. And uh, I'll, actually, I'll read this. It's from uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp. And uh, here's what it says. The proconsul threatened Polycarp. Remember, this is the people's pastor. This is who they looked up to. This was their leader. The proconsul threatened Polycarp. I have wild beasts here, and I will throw you to them. Unless you repent, unless you change your mind. <clears throat> but he, Polycarp, said, call for them. For the repentance from better to worse is a change not permitted us. But it is a noble thing to change from rebellion to righteousness. Now, I want you to remember something. This, he knows this scripture. This scripture was handed in a letter to the pastors before him and preserved. And this was for the church in Smyrna. This was for the leaders in Smyrna. And Polycarp has to be having this in his brain. Polycarp, the one who conquers, you will not be hurt by the second death. The first death, can't promise you it's not gonna be painful. The second death, that is real and eternal and it's coming for you. And then here's what it says. Then he said to him again in his anger to Polycarp, intensifying, I will cause you, Polycarp, to be consumed by fire if you despise the wild beasts unless you repent. But Polycarp replied and he said, he threatened that fire which only burns for a season and after a while is quenched for you are ignorant of the fire of the future judgment and eternal punishment, which is reserved for the ungodly. But what do you delay? Come, do what you are intending to do. Is that overcoming? Is that conquering? Right? Not unbelievable? And in the moment where you face these things, that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and says to you, overcome and conquer. I guarantee you this. He was prepared for this moment because of all of the moments of overcoming and conquering that led up to it. That he built the victorious conquering muscle inside of him because when sin came after him internally, he said no and he overcame. And when temptation externally came, he said no and he overcame. And when people persecuted him and mocked him and made fun of him, he overcame it and believed the words of scripture and the words of the Holy Spirit instead of the lies of people who hated him. Do you see how this, getting to this place with Polycarp, this is what happens when seasoned believers over a period of their life overcome and overcome and overcome. 
Now, he could have just said, woe is me. Woe is me. God doesn't love me. Do whatever you're going to do. I don't know. And would he have ever been a victorious conqueror if he lied to himself over and over and over again? God would never send me into this circumstance. God would never let this happen. The devil must be winning. I mean, do you see all the potential for lies? And yet the Christian has to be so clear-headed about what the Father thinks and what the Father wants. And we know this through the Holy Spirit. Um, in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. I want to share with you our fifth point, which just kind of sets the stage um, for partaking of communion together. And here's the fifth truth, the fifth thing that the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit. Christian, I promise you are forgiven. I promise you are forgiven. Here's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 says. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. By the way, when you're reading the New Testament, do you see a theme that the Spirit has things to say to the heart and to the mind of the believer? I want to ask you the question, are you listening to what he's saying? Because these are foundational things that you are not allowed to disagree with. You are not allowed to be stupid and then to say, I must not be forgiven or I think God's really angry at me and I don't know if this is one he can actually forgive. You're not allowed to say that because of the things that the scriptures teach and that the Holy Spirit testify to each one of us. Here's what it says. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, quote, this is the covenant, the promise, the agreement that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Here's a promise. This is what the Holy Spirit will testify to you. Based on God's promise, anybody, God's covenant, anybody who trusts in Jesus Christ, your sins, past, present, future, are once and for all forgiven, and God is putting his reputation on the line to defend this. I promise you, I've made a covenant with you, and I am affirming this covenant by sending you the Holy Spirit so that when you do ridiculous things and when you struggle, here's what the Holy Spirit is going to testify to you. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Let me just tell you, if the Lord was keeping track and remembering them all, how many of you could stand here now? Isn't it amazing? This is a, this is a crazy thought to me. Um, in a moment, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to worship, and uh, God is going to hear this worship, and he's going to be pleased. It's going to bring him glory. The Holy Spirit's going to be pumped because the name of Jesus will be lifted high. And yet, if you think about all the ridiculous thoughts you had this week, the things you did, the things you didn't do, the things you should have done, right? Coming up into this moment, all the judgmental thoughts, condemning thoughts, all of the lustful thoughts, the sinful thoughts, all of the ridiculous things. If you were to take every person in this room and put all of their junk on this screen, and yet somehow in just a minute, you were going to worship God and he is not holding one ounce of that stupidity against you, people, like you have an amazing God. We have an incredible privilege that our God still invites us. Now, like how many of you, somebody hurts you and your feelings are hurt for like a long time. Somehow God has this incredible ability to wash it away. And the moment you come back, he's like, we're good. Hey, I already forgave you. But like interpersonally, we're, like I will receive your worship. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing here. And as we celebrate communion today, I want to look at those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And I want to acknowledge what the Spirit of God and the Father of God and the Son of God already know. You are a broken sinner who has struggled a lot today and this week. And he knows. But his promise to you is this. Your salvation is not contingent on you performing. 
That is what every false religion and demonic religion in the world builds itself on. If you perform, I will forgive you, contingent economics. But the Spirit of God and the Father of God and the Son of God say this. Here's our promise to you. Your salvation, your forgiveness is not based on your performance, but it's based on Jesus Christ and your faith in him. And that is it. And so if you've trusted in Jesus Christ today, here's what I can look at you and say. You are a child of God with the spirit of God who is forgiven by God. And I want to invite you to partake of communion as a family together. Uh, Some of you are here and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ. None of what I said applies to you. Not an ounce. Not one of these. And my, my dream, my desire would be that you would see these things that the spirit tells Christians and that you would want these for yourself. And I would just tell you the only way that scripture communicates that we can be saved, that we can become children of God, that the Holy Spirit can be given to us, that we can be declared forgiven is if you trust in Jesus Christ alone. And that is it. My prayer today is that if you are here and you have never done that, today would be the day. And you may ask yourself, like, what, what do I have to do? What, what good things do I need to do? Like, do I have to start going to church, whatever? Here's the deal. The Spirit is not given to those who commit to performing. The Spirit is given to those. For, salvation is given to those. Forgiveness is given to those. Spiritual family in Jesus Christ is given to those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, who confess him as their Lord and Savior. That's who it's given to And so today, if that is a decision you want to make and you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and your place, if that is where you are at today, please do not let this day go by without letting somebody know, please. Um, You're going to find these elements are passing and and this might be the first day that you've ever trusted in Jesus. And uh, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to actually partake of communion with us as a sign that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. Uh, if that is something that even right now you're like, I think I believe and I, I need to trust in Jesus Christ, partaking of communion actually is a great first step to do that. But if you've never trusted in Jesus and you are not about it right now, and this is not the day or the time, um, when the elements come by you, I just want to encourage you, let them pass. I'll tell you why we do that here at Village Church. Um, because when you partake of these elements, your partaking is a declaration. It's a personal declaration that you believe, uh, that you are a Christian, you are a Christ follower. Uh, that you have received the Holy Spirit, not because you were good, not because you had some experience, because you trusted in Jesus. So when, when the elements come by you, here's my ask of you, don't partake. Not because we want to point fingers at you, nobody will even notice, nor care. Um, only because there's no reason for you to make a false declaration in this time. So here's what we're going to do. My prayer is we're going to have a time of silence and uh, might be maybe unusually long for some of you. And uh, one of my desires in this time is that <clears throat> some of you, you need to really repent um, of some things that are going on in your life right now. Um, you need to release some untruths and apologize to God for those in your life. Um, for some of you, man, you're just in awe that you're a child of God because you know all your ridiculousness. <laughs> And this is an opportunity just to pray and to thank God and to lift high the name of Jesus. And so um, here's what'll happen. We have a time of silence. Um, When it's done, I'll pray. We're all gonna stand up. Uh, We're gonna worship God. The um, ushers are gonna hand out elements. And if you just hold on to the elements, 
until the very end, we'll partake together as a symbol of our unity in Jesus Christ. So let's just take some time alone and just quiet and listen and talk to God.